Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Well, I like weird stories in the Bible. If you've been around this church, you know I like weird stories. I like the parts that other people don't like, the bits that other people are afraid of, I find rather interesting, right? And it means you never know what you're going to get on a Sunday when I get up to preach, right? Um, Some of you might think, well, I wonder what he's going to do. Uh, Controversial parts of the Bible, I've read them. Confusing parts of the Bible, I've read them. Obscure parts of the Bible, I've read them. And it makes the platform rather predictably unpredictable. But today, I'm going to do something that's unpredictable for me. See, I've been reading at home... The Christian classics, as people would probably call them. You know, the, the stories that we teach in kids' church, right? The, the, the everyday, uh, the David and Goliath and the Daniel and the lion's den and Noah's ark, all those stories. I've been reading all those stories and I have been fascinated by what I'm reading. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet of goodness, right? And so I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I am going to read a Bible account that's not obscure That's not weird. In fact, it's so famous, it's entered into common knowledge. I've heard atheists talk about it. I've heard Satanists talk about it. It's a very, very, very common part of the Bible. But I'm going to dig it out, blow off the dust, and we're going to look at a classic, Daniel and the Lion's Den. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. If you're new to our church, you're probably like, I expected him to read something like this. If you've been a part Shiloh for a couple of years, you're like, Phil doesn't normally do this. This could get wild. Daniel chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament, which means if you've got a physical Bible, it's about a third of the way through on the pages. If you've got a digital Bible, scroll down to the very bottom and then just go up a bunch of books, you'll find it. If you don't have a Bible, you can Google it. Daniel space 6, it'll come up. Or some guy called Daniel will come up on Google Images. You never know. Daniel chapter 6. When you've got it, say, got it. If you need a minute, say, I need a minute. If you don't have a Bible or all of the concrete is messing with your reception, the scripture's on the screen and I brought my Bible. I'll read it to you. If you're watching at home, a big shout out to you in our online service. Dial into Daniel chapter 6. This is what it says. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. So like regional cities like Ipswich City, Brisbane City, Morton City, that sort of thing. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. So that's like a mayor, right? The king chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officials and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So he's going to promote him to be like a prime minister, right? Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling the government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Pause, just for a moment, just a little sidebar. It's interesting that the same issues here are popping up again in our society. People are 
look at your performance and they find no fault. They look at your Christian character and they find no fault. They look at your integrity, they find no fault. And so the only fault they can find is with your faith. And so they attack our faith. And we see it now in sport. We see it in business. We see it in politics. We see it even in families and so much more, right? I think the spirit of Babylon is alive and working again today. But here's the thing. If you've noticed that, you should be very encouraged. I know, I know, I know some of you are looking at me like, are you on drugs? I'm not. But you should be very, very encouraged by this thing, right? And I'm going to tell you why. It's not, uh, it's not for the reasons that you think. The spirit of Babylon was defeated before. And if he's been defeated before, he can be defeated again. Now, I'm not saying this to make a political statement or a commentary on society. I'm actually saying this for you and for I. Because see, what happens when the enemy attacks our life is he loves to make us feel like we're the only person that's going through this thing. We're some kind of special case. It's a very difficult scenario. Who knows if you're going to come out the other side of it? It's kind of like this, right? If you go to the doctor and you sit down with the doctor, I tell you what you don't want to hear. This is what you don't want to hear. Whoa, I've never seen that before. (sighs) That's a concern. I'm worried. Are you worried? I've never seen that before. We're going to have to do tests. I don't even know what to treat it with. No one wants to hear that. You would much rather hear, ah, you've got that throat infection. It's going around. Here's some antibiotics. Take three days off. You'll be fine. But what the enemy likes to do is he likes for us to feel like we're the only person that's going through this thing. We're the only person that's handling this issue, right? You're the only person battling that sickness. You're the only person that's dealing with that financial problem. You're the only person that's got an issue like that in your family, right? And it feels like we're cut off and we're isolated. But the thing with the devil is this. He is like a bad cover band that just tours from RSL to RSL, right? And you see them the first time and it's pretty impressive. But after you've been around a while, you realize it's the same bag of hits it's actually not that impressive right because here's the thing you're not the only person that has ever fought that sickness before and God has healed those people and if God has healed them then guess what God can heal you we're not the only people in history that have dealt with inflation or rising costs of living or a rental crisis we're not the only people and God has done miracles before and if he's done miracles before then guess what he can do miracles again You're not the only person that's ever faced an issue like that in your family. And God has moved in other people's families. So why wouldn't He move in yours? You're not the only person that struggled like that with your kids or in your marriage or in some other area of your life. You are not isolated. You are not alone. And if God has defeated the enemy then, then God will defeat the enemy now. If God has come through for other people, then God can come through for you. So when we see a pattern of the enemy doing something again and again, don't get upset, get encouraged because we know that the enemy has been defeated before and we know that the enemy is going to be defeated again. If you believe it, say amen. It's like God, the great physician, has penciled this moment in your divine calendar so that you could sit here and come in and he could go, Oh, yes, that, uh, that family issue, that's been going around. Here's a prescription. Take some time to think about it. I give this prescription to all my children. It works well. You'll be fine in a couple of weeks. Don't worry about it. You are divinely appointed to be here at a time like that. Has God come through before? Yes, he has. Will he come through again? Sure. Can he do it for you? Absolutely. Those aren't the questions we need to be asking because it's never, ever been about God's ability. The question we have to ask is what do we do? I mean, what's 
great physician going to say to us? Is he going to say, take three days of bed rest? Is God going to say, well, to defeat that problem in your life, you need to do this or you need to do that? What do we have to do when we come out of the great physician's office to see victory in our lives like other people have received victory in their lives? And that is why this particular scripture is so relevant today. Yes, it's an extreme example. I don't think any of us are going to get thrown into a lion's den. And if you are, you're living a wild life, right? But that's not the point. The point is this. If God can come through in a situation as extreme as that, don't you think he can come through in your life? If God could come through in a situation with lions and dens and kings and stuff like that, don't you think he could bring breakthrough in your marriage? Don't you think he could be breakthrough in your family? What about your finances? What about your health? If God can come through in a situation as full on as that, then you will be okay. Verse 6. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Pause, sidebar for all of the nerds out there. Notice that the language is that everybody is in agreement. That's the language of the spirit of Babylon. You'll hear it in our media and other things. But anyway, keep going. Give orders. We're all in agreement that you should give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed this law. Pause. This is just a quick note for those of you who don't spend your spare time watching the History Channel and think, what a weird law to sign in. Why would they actually do something like this? Well, you have to understand how the ancient world worked. In the ancient world, when you had somebody who brought immense change and particularly great political change, so Darius of Babylon or Caesar of Rome or the pharaohs in Egypt, what people believed was that these individuals must be God's reincarnated or at least have some kind of divine ability because how else would they be able to accomplish this? So it's actually very normal for people to pray to kings or queens and there was temples all over the world dedicated to various kings and various queens and people would light incense and people would perform sacrifices in the hope that these divine, I say in inverted commas, creatures would come into play. So it's actually not a big deal for people to say, hey, just for the next 30 days, can we focus on praying to you? And that's the reason why I don't think King Darius pushed back real hard. That and the fact that everybody wanted him to do it, and so he couldn't ignore the voice of everybody. Verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking God for help. So that's very cool. They're spying on the privacy of his own home. That's nice. Verse 12. And so they went straight to the king and they reminded him about the law. <clears throat> Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Verse 13, then they told the king, that man Daniel, <laughs> one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. 
He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. And in the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Mirds and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the lion's den. Okay, let's pause here for a moment so we can appreciate what's actually happening. I don't know about you. I read this as an adult and I'm like, why the lion's den? Why not just cut off his head? Why not fire an arrow into his heart? Why not push him off a bridge? Why would, why would you kill someone that way? What was the deal with the lion's den? So being the nerd that I am, I went and did some research. I'm like, why would you, why would you do that? And then when I researched, I'm like, uh-huh, this makes sense. So the empire at that time had a symbol and that symbol was the lion. It was on their shields. It was on their flags. It was on their buildings. They built statues to lions. They even worshipped a goddess that they felt had the form of a lion. They adopted the symbol. And what they said that the symbol meant, when you were supposed to see the lion coming through, it wasn't just, oh, the Babylonians are here. What you were supposed to see is it's a symbol of authority. It's the symbol of power over the enemy. It's the symbol of overcoming obstacles and adversity. That's what this was a symbol of, right? So when Daniel did what he did, it was like a rejection of authority, the authority of the king, a rejection of the culture of the kingdom, a rejection of the way that things have been done, and a belief that this guy and this kingdom doesn't actually have the power to overcome. So they would have looked at it like a very poetic, very fitting thing to say, well, if we're going to deal with this guy, because this is not just a misdemeanor. This isn't jaywalking. He hasn't just downloaded a pirated movie. This guy has seriously broken the law. He's an enemy of the state. What better way for the state to deal with an individual like this than for the symbol of the state, the symbol of the nation, the symbol of the empire to actually go and tear this guy limb from limb? Which makes me think for a bit. Because when we teach this in kids' church, and I was a kids' pastor for five years, so was my wife, um, usually we put a picture on a screen. It's like cool cartoon lines. Some of them are sleeping. Some of them are running around. I've seen pictures. Daniel's riding on the lion around the, around the den. It's this cool looking thing, right? And that's great. I, I, believe me, if any of our kids team are here, don't go in there and you know, show them some footage of, of lions tearing people apart. We don't want to scare children. That's not what we're about here at Shiloh. But it does mean when we read a story like this, sometimes that's the picture we've got. It's like Lion King meets the Bible. And we're all like, yeah, a little bit of Hakuna Matata. Um, you know, Simba's walking around. Daniel's waving. But that's actually not what was happening here in this story. Now, anyone who knows me knows I like my documentaries. And I have been watching documentaries about lions since I was a little kid. So you can either go home and watch a whole bunch of documentaries on lions, or you can let me explain to you in my nerdy way why lions are actually pretty cool. So lions are about, okay, well, let me start to say, the Bible doesn't say what breed of lions are here, but I would assume, and I did do some research, I would assume that they're using African lions. So let's go with that, right? African lion is about three meters long. Plus a tail that's 1.2 meters. So from head to tail, an African lion would take up a fair chunk of this stage. It's about five metres long. That's as long as a ute. So that's okay. That's just so you know, size-wise, that's what we're dealing with, right? Those long legs and the power in its legs mean a lion can jump about 3.6 metres high. In fact, a lion at a distance jump can jump about 10 metres long. Seriously, I looked at this, right? 
They are jumping with weight though. The average adult lion weighs 250 kilos. And here's the thing, don't bother running. No, no, no. If you see a lion, the average lion can run in burst speeds of 81 kilometers per hour. Now, to give you a reference point, Usain Bolt, fastest human being alive, at the peak of his athletic career, in peak condition, only once was able to run at a burst speed of 44 kilometers an hour. So even if you are as fast as Usain Bolt, when you try to run, that line will catch you really, really quickly. And when it does, you are in trouble. So when it gets to you, before it even gets its claws out or its teeth out, your life is still in immediate danger. Their um, bodies pack huge amounts of tissue and muscle that allows them to launch what is known as a powerful paw strike, right? And when they hit you, they hit you with such force that it's been known to break the spine of individuals so that when they drop on the ground, they are now paralyzed and they can't run away anymore. That's how strong their paws are. In fact, not only that, lions have been known to kill people without actually getting out their teeth or their claws either beating them to death with paw strikes or suffocating them with their bodies. But that's actually not their preferred way to kill you. They have teeth and they have claws, right? So let's talk about the claws. A lion's claws are some of the most fearsome weaponry in all of the animal kingdom, right? Not only are they razor sharp, they are actually as strong as carbon fiber, right? And there is 18 of them, and they are attached to 140 kilos of pure muscle, right? Which means, with their claws, they can crush your skull and then slice you open like a surgical knife on a table. Then once they've done that, their mouths come into play, right? Now, they'll probably begin to eat you, sometimes while you're still alive. A lion can open its mouth about 28 centimetres, which means it can swallow your head whole. And the power of its jaw is terrifying. It would have no issues severing your head from your shoulders with a gut-wrenching crunch. A lion has about 30 teeth in its mouth, which it would begin to use. These teeth are meticulously designed and brilliant at tearing flesh from bone. In fact, they have two teeth at the back of their mouth. All their teeth do different things, but as an example, two teeth at the back of their mouth are actually most similar to the, most similar to the scissors that chefs use to cut meat. That's in their mouth, but they've got 30 of those, right? So a lion can kill a human being in mere seconds, even if you're on the other side of the room. But this was a lion's den, which means there was not one lion in this den. There was multiple lions in this den, which means even if Daniel went into the den with an armed security detail, in the time it took for me to explain this, they all would have been dead in a haze of blood and bone. So, make no mistake about it, this wasn't some kind of sport this was a brutal and bloody execution. Now that I've established that, let's go back to the story. Verse 16. 
Give us a wave if you're listening. So at last, the king gave the orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. Because here's a thought, they don't want the lions getting out after what I just said, right? The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. The king then returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and he couldn't sleep at night. Pause. Daniel had no options. (laughs) He wasn't going to be able to negotiate with this lion. A power tie wasn't going to change the situation. A little bit of the Crocodile Dundee thing wasn't going to work. He had absolutely no options but faith. He had no plan B. He had no plan C. He had absolutely nothing that he could do in this situation except exercise faith. And if you're in a situation here this morning, maybe there's a health issue. Maybe there's a family problem. Maybe there's a marriage issue. Maybe there's a problem with your kids. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe there's a goal that's been dashed. Maybe there's a a struggle in your business and you feel like you are up against the wall. The good news is if all you have is faith, then you have enough to receive victory in this area, right? All you need is faith. You don't even need strength. You might say, well, I'm not that strong. That's okay, just have faith. Well, Phil, I'm not that smart. That's okay, just have faith. Well, Phil, I'm not that talented. That's okay, just have faith. All you need in a situation when you are stuck in a den is faith. And how do I know that Daniel had faith? Well, here's the thought. He didn't avoid the den. I mean, I would have tried a technicality. I would have changed my name. I would have tried to grow a beard, although we know that would have taken too long. I would have run away. I would have done something. But Daniel held on to faith and went into the den. I'm going to give you just three quick points. Number one, everyone say number one. Don't fear what you can't change. Just have faith. Don't fear what you can't change. Just have faith. Here's the thing. God didn't remove the den. God didn't remove the lions. God didn't even remove Daniel, right? But you know why? He didn't have to. God didn't actually have to do any of that. Because if he could protect Daniel, then Daniel wasn't actually in any danger, was he? God may not have removed your sickness up until this point, but if he will protect you and protect your life, then that sickness doesn't really have any power. God may not have changed the interest rates, but if God can protect your finances, then your finances aren't really in any danger. If God is protecting your marriage, then your marriage isn't really in any danger. If God is protecting your children like we prayed before, then your children aren't really in any danger. The enemy would love you to believe that the only way out of your situation is for the den to be removed, for the lions to be removed, for you to be removed. But there is another path and that is that God can put His hand of protection on you. And if you are protected, then you aren't actually in any danger and you don't have to fear what you can't change. You just have to have faith. If you believe it, say amen. Just have faith. Have faith that when you go into the den of your situation, when you go into that doctor's appointment, when you go and do that school drop-off, when you turn up to work tomorrow morning, just have faith that with God, you will be victorious, that God will cause change in the areas that you can't change. Notice that even the king was afraid. They lowered Daniel into the den and he's worried. I mean, I don't blame him. I'm sure as they lowered him down, you could probably hear the the heavy panting of the lions. You know, they used to sometimes starve lions as well to make sure that they were extra hungry and their killer instinct would kick in. 
Then the king seals it. He's worried. The king goes back to his room. He's worried. The king's in the palace. He's worried. But Daniel displays no such fear. He just displays faith. You know, if you can't change something, don't fear it. Just have faith. If you can't move that family situation around because there are other people whose free will is involved, don't get all riled up and afraid. Just execute some faith. If you've been praying and that sickness hasn't changed, don't fear what that sickness will bring. Just start to step into faith because fear and faith are two different sides of the same coin. One worries about what could happen and one gets excited about what could happen. They're both two different sides of the same coin. They both use energy up. They both tie you out to just be real. They both stretch you in one way or another. And you have a choice when you are in a no change situation, are you going to exercise your fear or you're going to exercise your faith? I guarantee you both will leave drain, but one of them will cause a positive outcome and one of them will probably become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So don't waste your energy on what you can't change. Remember that He is your healer. Just have faith. Don't waste your energy on what you can't change. Remember that He is your provider. Just have faith. Don't waste your energy on what you can't change. Remember, He is your restorer. Just have faith. Yeah, but I can't change my health situation. I can't change my kids' school. I can't change my finances. I can't change this. Stop talking like that. Start speaking with a mouth of faith. Don't fear what you can't change. Just have faith because in faith, God will cause you to defeat the things that you can't change. If you believe it, say amen. Wait till you see what happens next to Daniel. Verse 19. Very early in the morning, the king got up and hurried out of the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you were able to serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king. God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that you, they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. And this is a slight barb. And I've not wronged you, your majesty. I love Daniel's response. He was in a no-win situation. The lions were ferocious and he gets out without even a scratch. Out even a broken bone. Just a little finger missing, right? He comes out, right? But to me, when I read this story as an adult, what blew me away wasn't that God did a miracle. Because I know my Bible. I know God does miracles. What blew me away was how God did the miracle. What the miracle actually was. See, the lions didn't go to sleep. The lions didn't die. The lions didn't get Star Trek transported to another place and then transported back at the end of the story. What God did was He sent an angel to assist in the situation. In other words, he sent the resource of heaven to his aid. Number two, everyone say number two. Faith attracts the resources of heaven. Faith attracts the resources of heaven. See, he redirects heavenly resources. In this case, an angel towards a person of faith. Because you've got to understand something. When you pray in faith, you not only attract God's attention, you attract his power at work in that situation as well. Some of you have been praying, and yes, God is listening, but you need to begin to exercise your faith muscle because it activates God's power. If you need healing, if you need finance, if you need family restoration, if you need a curse broken, if you need salvation, if you need anything in your life, you have to learn to pray with faith, right? Because this is the thing. Let's use angels as an example. Despite what you might have seen on TV 
And I've actually been thinking, maybe I should preach on the angelic realm next year. Anyway, sidebar. Um, despite what you might have seen on TV, angels are not sitting around on fluffy clouds, just spinning and twirling, eating to the point that they're a little bit obese, throwing grapes into each other's mouths, just waiting for someone to ask them to do something. They are worker bees. They are constantly on the go, 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 which means that this angel was probably busy doing something else and God redirected his assignment, which means even when you are in a situation which would require a redirection, God is not above doing that when you pray in faith and when you believe in faith. If you believe that, say amen. I remember when, um, I remember when Krista was in ER. It was before we had kids. I've been in a hospital a couple of times, babe, but... There was this one time she was in ER and it was pretty bad. There were blood clots throughout her lungs, um, but they didn't quite know that at the time. They just knew that she was dying and she potentially was going to die in the next couple hours. So she's in ER. But we picked a bad day to go to ER because the doctors were flat chat. And so we couldn't get the help that we needed. They knew that she was dying. They were doing what they could, but they couldn't figure out what it was that was causing this and therefore what to actually do about it. So we're there in the, hotel, in, the, in the hotel room. It wasn't a hotel at all. Um, there was a lot of beeping. We were lying there, and we're in the hospital bed. And this woman comes in as a nurse. And uh, she's, you know, she's checking Krista's chart. She says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. Are you guys Christians? I said, yes. She goes, I thought so. You had a vibe about you. I said, okay. And that's always a worry, right? She goes, I'm a Christian too. She shuts the curtain. She goes, I shouldn't do this, but can I pray for you? I said, yeah. She prays. A really interesting prayer of faith, right? So she prays in faith that God would heal Krista and that God would redirect medical resources to her aid. Finishes the prayer and leaves. Didn't see her again. Ten minutes later, this doctor walks past. Wants to have lunch with another doctor, right? Finds out that that doctor's in this ward. Has to wait because that other doctor's busy. This doctor was one of the people that knew what Krista needed and was not assigned to this ward. Starts having a look at the charts. This could, oh, I th- you know, I think this could be, cause a couple of nurses over. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? You know, bosses around. Where's the big coat and all the rest of that? Then the next doctor took a wrong turn, comes into the thing. What am I doing here for? All right, well, I'll just come through here. While there, you know, better look like I'm busy and not look like an idiot because I've just taken a wrong turn. Starts reading to different charts, comes to Krista, starts giving advice. Within a couple hours, every single expert that was not on the ward, that was not assigned, some of them not even supposed to be there that day, had come in, visited her, given her the uh, instructions that she needed, and as a result, a couple days later, she got released from hospital. That... That is what God can do when you pray in faith. He can reassign people. Nothing is beyond his control. Now, I've seen this again and again and again. I've seen it in business. I've seen it in church. I've seen it in family. I've seen it in finances. I've seen it in health. Faith attracts the resources of heaven. I genuinely, wholeheartedly, it's one of the convictions in my spirit. I totally believe it. I was at a a large pastors conference last week, right? 1,500 pastors or something were there. And uh, everybody's heard about what God's doing in Shiloh, which is great. God is doing something cool, right? And um, so people were like, oh, wow, I've heard all this stuff. I kept getting this question, right? So what's the secret? What secret? How have you got all these amazing pastors from all over Australia flying into Goodna joining the team? I said, I can't tell you that. I said, why not? I said, well, you know, 
just wouldn't come, want to come across as that guy. No, 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 tell me, tell me, tell me. Do you know what I actually said? Faith attracts the resources of heaven. Faith attracts the resources of heaven. It works in health. It works in finance. It works in business. Don't just pray. Pray with faith. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's just how the kingdom of God works, right? If you are in the lion's den of life, start to claim in the name of Jesus. Start to claim in faith in the name of Jesus for breakthrough in your situation. Start to declare that God will reassign resource from heaven. Start to declare angels will come to your aid. Start to declare finance is going to come. Declare it in faith because faith attracts the resources of heaven. Now, what happens next in this story is truly wild. Verse 23. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not even a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave the orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and he had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. The king... Darius then sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the whole world, right? So this is like the old school version of a national address on TV. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Last verse in this chapter. Listen to this. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. My last point. Number three. Everyone say number three. Faith turns adversity into prosperity. Faith turns adversity into prosperity. See, the devil would love you to believe that you have peaked, that you will come out of this situation because he's saying right now, well, maybe what Phil's saying is true, but you just got to understand there's collateral damage. (laughs) He's a liar. Faith turns adversity into into prosperity and yes sometimes that process takes time it says that he prospered during the rain which means it took a little while right but like that 80s shampoo commercial i don't know if you remember it right won't happen overnight but it will happen right it won't happen overnight but it will happen the devil never wins in the end when you are a person of faith God will find a way to turn adversity into prosperity if you have faith. It's a fact. I believe it. It's a conviction in my spirit. I've seen it play out again and again and again and again and again. Yeah, but I've been here a while and it hasn't happened. Yep, that's okay. It won't always happen overnight, but it will happen. Amen, right? See, what you're going through is a story with a good ending, right? And I might get the band up. It doesn't matter if we go into a situation where we're surrounded by the lions, it doesn't matter if we're stuck in a den, God will go with you and God will keep you safe, right? So don't fear what you can't change, whatever your den is. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's a mental health challenge. Maybe it's some other kind of addiction. Don't fear what you can't change. Just have faith. 
You say, yeah, well, that's easy for you to say. I don't have this resource and I don't have that resource. That's not going on like this in my life and that's not happening like that. Yeah, but here's the thing. Faith attracts the resources of heaven, right? So when you execute your faith in a situation, what happens is God moves mountains on your behalf, right? God will even direct angels who are busy. God will redirect bankers. God will redirect doctors. God will redirect things in your life for your benefit. You just watch. Not only that, in the end, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not this month, maybe not this year, but you will come to a point where you will stand with me and you say, yes, I agree. Faith turns adversity into prosperity. It will happen. Not always overnight, but it will happen. The devil never has the last laugh in the kingdom of God. The Lord and His children do. Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.